guys, Chris Spaggs has entered the best ball street. Spaggs, do you have best ball takes for us today? I have so many best ball takes after one week doing it before underdogs puppy already filled. And of course we are in the penultimate episode of our playmakers rewatch. And, and Pete, I got to say this episode, the least notes I've had all to all the entire time we've done these recaps, but I guess we got nothing to do, but get into it. So let's hit the intro and start the show. everyone and welcome to another edition of Splash Play, the fantasy football podcast for every game under the sun. And I am Chris Spag, joined once again by a man who, as I mentioned in the YouTube chat, too busy counting his randomizer merch box money before the show. Just like this, making it rain like a young Pac-Man Jones. He's Pete Overzet. How are you doing, Pete? The, c- completely factually inaccurate. We have not broken even on the project yet, Spag. <laughs> so uh, no money counting to do yet other than chipping away at my deficit. I, I do think that you could make some more money, perhaps. We've talked in the past about doing an OnlyFans account for the show, just to be different, the only bros and OnlyFans. And I feel like there's a market for you drinking water out of a shot glass like a dog. Somewhere <laughs> out there, I think, has pleasured themselves with that a few times over. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's always nice to make a, a viral video that doesn't lead to any more sales. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's kind of uh, because people actually think it's for dogs now. So that I did that to myself. You suffer for your art. I think that's the way it goes here. But of course, one way to support Pete would be to follow him at Peter Overza and follow me at Chris Spags. Of course, make sure to follow at Splash Play Pod as well. We're following back everybody on Twitter and Instagram on that handle. So show a little love. Give us a follow. We'll give you a follow back. And of course, make sure you're liking the video. Subscribe to both Pete's channel and the Splash Play channel. If you're catching up with our Playmakers Rewatch in particular, there's a playlist on there to go through every single episode and enjoy all the moments as Pete and I did. So go check that out. And of course, subscribe to those channels and give us five stars interview an Apple podcast if you can. But let's talk first. I know you got him into thumbnails. So we got to hit it up top. Deshaun Watson, some of the rumors going around him this week, uh, perhaps going to the Eagles, I guess is the most recent way the wind's blowing. And to tie it into our best ball conversation, as somebody deeply invested in Jalen Hurts, this worries me quite a bit, Pete. But what do you think the odds of this happening are? Because in the back of my mind, I've kind of assumed it's like Aaron Rodgers, that Watson would just end up with the Texans just because of the other situations with his, his masseuse love, I guess, or whatever that we're going to call that, uh, bogging him down the trade market but you think this is the outcome now that the media is i guess starting to get wind on it yeah so i had like i had heard a couple people start to mention uh the rumors and then i actually was researching it today for the newsletter and i came away less thinking it's a rumor it was basically like adam schefter just saying like he thinks it makes sense because he thinks that the watson stuff's going to get resolved he mentions um that the Eagles have potentially three first round picks next year, depending on how the wince stuff shakes out. Like if they make the playoffs or if he plays 75% of the snaps, that becomes a first round pick. So they have the ammo. And I guess the one nugget of truth in there might be if Schefter has internal knowledge on the Eagles front office, that they're not as high on Hertz. But I was with you. Like the second I saw that, I was like, this is so bizarre. Like Hertz came in in week 12 last year, flashed major upside. He didn't get to start the whole season, wasn't getting first team reps. The rookies didn't even get a preseason and he legitimately flashed monster upside. He's like a younger, less maligned version is what I wrote of Deshaun Watson. I don't, I don't get the appeal of it whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, and, and obviously Philadelphia historically has been willing to take on these reclamation projects. The Mike Vick one, I think historically would be the biggest one to point to a guy who certainly had some bad wins blowing around him after uh, his dog fighting issues. But I, I agree, like the timing seems odd. All of it seems odd unless like Hertz has just looked terrible in offseason work. But I think they'd still give him the early part of training camp. Then you'd see the, you know, the thing starts to trickle out like, oh, like Hertz looks bad. He's completely inaccurate. He's not looking the same guy as he was. And then you could see the rumors start to kind of come from there. But I guess the only way it makes sense is if Hertz we're going back to the Texans in the trade. And I think that's, I guess that might just be me hoping that I can get a part of Hertz than on an even shittier team. That's going to be playing from behind all year long. Yeah. I mean, that just seems like an absolute recipe of disaster. It would be pretty ironic for, uh, I don't actually ironic's not the right word, but for the Eagles to ship out like two quarterbacks, they drafted incredibly high, you know, wins of first round. <laughs> what Wentz was a first round guy, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe so. 
yeah, Hurts, a second round pick. Uh, and then you're like, yeah, we're going to take a guy who's like one happy ending away from being out of the league. <laughs> like, I just like, what, what are you doing, Eagles? Like, Hurts is fine and he could be great. Just give him a few more cracks. So there's a transition point because we got to talk about best ball a little bit. And I think the first thing we have to talk about, I know, Pete, you are, of course, an investor and uh, one of the biggest spokesmen, as, as you might have seen on Twitter this week. Uh, though, Pete, I feel like you're in my over, my followings don't necessarily overlap a lot, which is one of the strangest things. Like, we, we cross tweet sometimes and there is zero engagement that comes from it. Yeah, I, I do. I noticed that uh, too. We do not have uh, much overlap. It's always funny, like looking at the various Venn diagrams of, uh, of circles here. But yes, we need to pull you into my world or maybe you need to pull me into yours. I don't know. One of those. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure your world's more valuable than the, the 20,000 leftover Barstool fans <laughs> me and confused by my career choices. But uh, the puppy filling on underdog. And I, and I have to say to, uh, to Jack Settlement's credit, one of Pete's other podcast partners, I tweeted about underdog within like 30 seconds. The head of winning at underdog is re is retweeting and engaging with me. So full credit to Jack. I know he's been engagement farming on some of your streams. Pete, no, we I don't give it. any credit to Jack on this channel. So uh, what's your next point? Uh, my next point, the underdog though. So great site. I've had a lot of time. I hadn't played an underdog at all last year. Did only be uh, DK best balls last year. And I have to say, so for me, I'm coming in unbiased. I'm not getting money, any money off of them. I'm not currently doing shows. The Osmo is also getting advertised with them. I like underdog a lot. I have to say like I, I in my head, I certainly, you know, imagine that it was going to be a good site and, and work well based upon all of you guys being so in on it for the last year and change. Uh, but I have to say full credit to them, you know, promo code Pete is what I use to sign up and all of that. Uh, so Pete's getting all of uh, the refracted sunlight of me depositing over God knows how much <laughs> over the next few months. Uh, but the thing that frustrated me, Pete, is that the puppy, their $5 tournament, 150 max tournament. And uh, I think 59 K entries in total that was filled really fast. Like, I feel like I saw the announcement about that maybe two weeks ago and that was what i was like cool i don't want to spend you know 3k putting in a 150 max for the the best ball millionaire maker thing i don't want to do that but for the puppy it makes sense i think an affordable price point to do that and i got 15 drafts in and now it's already full and i feel like those 15 drafts are kind of a waste uh no they're they're not a waste um that very few people were able to max enter it like i went ham and i think i ended up because i I did a ton of slow drafts, so all of mine are still ongoing. I think I ended up getting up to like uh, almost 100, somewhere between 90 and 100. Um, but I think that's in the minority. I only know a couple people who maxed it. I think most people, even the hardcore people, like I know Davis was firing at it. I think he was only like 20 to 30. So I, I don't think it's a, a waste uh, at all. It's not, it, I think it's different too from like DFS where you're like super behind uh, the max entering type guys. So no, you're, you're live, Chris, you're okay. live. I, to be clear, I don't think it was a waste. I actually feel pretty live with some of the constructions that I got there and all that. The other thing that I'm going to tilt on, and I know it's something I've seen people tweet about before. And I feel like, you know, it is just completely random. I'm very much am a believer in that, but holy shit, the amount of times I got the 10th overall pick is I think could not be paralleled. I, I, as I mentioned, I did like, I think 15 drafts in total. So like there might, might be 16. It's either like 15 in the puppy, one in the best ball uh, mania contest on there, the $25 million up top one and I got that 10th pick so many times that I tweeted yesterday I got the first pick in my last puppy draft yeah but like boy that 10th pick was popping up way more than it seemed like it should have yeah it's fine I I think I've done so many that uh now the like law of large numbers has you know spread them out enough for me but yeah over the course of just 15 you could get stuck with the same slot over and over and it starts to get weird some people have really weird quirks too like uh, I know someone who has like a ton of 102 slots. And so it's like you're taking Dalvin Cook like over and over and over again, which like, yeah, you're excited to get Dalvin Cook, but you don't necessarily want like 80% Dalvin Cook because one injury and then your entire portfolio is shot. But you know what you do want, Pete, if if my exposures are any guide here, 50% Alex Madison is what I ended up with because I was getting some Dalvin Cook. I did get the two slot a couple times on there, but Madison, I thought was a good value. And to me, anytime you can get the Latavius Murray's, the Alex Madison's deeper down the chart and you hope, you know, not that you hope, obviously you're never hoping for injury, but you're hedging against the idea that one player could knock out a large portion of lineups. I think that's where I ended up a lot. I also feel like we have to get the plug one more time because our, our girl Blitz is in the chat. <laughs> She's a, a regular Osmo member, but Pete, 
Pete, what is the full promo code plug here for Underdog? Because uh, again, I'm not getting kickbacks here, but I do support my pal Pete. That it, it means I've done good branding on the promo code. If if people are actually questioning if it's the full promo code Pete, it is just Pete when you sign up on Underdog. Uh, I appreciate that blitz. I think you'll have a fun time. You get twenty five dollars uh, in your account too. So they'll they'll launch another five dollar tournament. Um, I think they said it's going to be beginning of August. They want uh, people to now funnel into the big one for a little bit. So you can do one uh, free entry in the big best ball mania one with a million dollars up top, or you can wait to do five entries for the smaller tournament that'll come out in a bit. Yeah. And as Pete mentioned, $25 deposit bonus does hit right away too. So keep that in mind. And I know that's important for the people out there based on my many years shilling for various sites out there, but yes, a couple of best ball guys here, just, just talking shop. That's really what we're doing now. So my observation, and here's the questions I'm going to ask you, Pete, because I know you talked about a lot of the stuff on ship chasing the randomizer shows, all the stuff you're doing out there. You have been the king of the best ball streets for me. I think I know the format pretty well. I also think part of why I've had some success in the past doing minimal amounts of best balls is that I don't play straight away like some of the zero RB stuff that I know you've talked about in the past. And the first question I have to ask, because this is sort of my my DFS tournament brain working, what do you think the probability is that some sort of Cam Akers, Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders tiers of running backs completely breaks the zero RB format? Because I understand the data behind it. I understand why it makes it more appealing. But I do think that much like a lot of things out there, like MLB DFS me is the best equivalent where like the best players, like you, you as somebody who's playing casually should be running five, three stacks, like one team, five players, the other team, three players. But the best players running, you know, different combinations that you know five two ones four threes all that stuff and i kind of wonder if sometimes people get too slavish to a format that you miss the nuance of just value per each player and and cam makers like joe mixon those guys are high volume guys who i think could kind of ruin i guess that concept overall and, and especially if you do have the later round wide receivers hitting so that's my immediate thought about approaching best balls that you have so many people out there who are going one way because they see everybody talking about going that way that there's probably some ev in just going the opposite and and the more robust rb form I think is what it's called now on social media. Yeah. So the thing about that is, so basically what happened was last year, Justin Herzig, who won the best ball mania tournament, he did it with a hyper fragile team, which is he took three running backs early, like from that cohort, you just said it would be very similar to this year, starting with acres Mixon, and Sanders. And then he didn't, he only drafted one more running back throughout the, his entire draft. And then because he didn't have a lot of firepower at wide receiver early, he made up for that with quantity of wide receivers later in the draft, ended up drafting 10. So now everyone, has essentially been using that playbook at least early on in this offseason when drafting they're like you know everyone wants to copies copy justin's homework there so that's actually become the in vogue strategy specifically grabbing it, uh two of those running backs early like an acres mixin and then going away from it so that is what first transpired that was actually the most popular strategy then literally in like the past week the wide receivers have been massively pushed up uh, the board. Like the guys you were getting at like pick 140, 150, that was like the rookies, Rondell Moore, Rashad Bateman. They're now going at pick 110. Elijah Moore has jumped like 25 spots. So the issue isn't that Cam Akers and Joe Mixon are bad picks. It just means that you're going to have less wide receiver firepower and at every point in the draft, the best values are running backs. And if you draft Akers and Mixon, you really only want to take two, maybe one more uh, running back after that. If I did those two, I'd only take two more. And so then you're going through your draft and you're like, shit, I need wide receivers, but it's another running back value that fell. Shit, need wide receivers, another good running back. So it's more of a construction thing than being down on those players specifically, at least for me. I think part of it too, and it's something I know um, one of our guys who I regularly is engaging with Splash by stuff, I think Bad Omens is a uh, is username on Twitter, but it asked me like, hey, am I doing zero RB? Am I doing hero RB? Am I doing any of that? And to me, it all depends on the draft where there was one draft where um, like somebody took Tyree Kill in the one, two or the one, three slot. And as a result, Derek Henry fell to me in the five hole. It's like, I'm not going to take Travis Kelsey at five, even though I think it makes more sense because if Derek Henry's there, like that's undervalued. And I think that's sort of the main thing I see with the drafts is that like there is nuance each one and ideally you want to have not if not expert level knowledge of everything but sort of a higher level strategy being comfortable to hey go hey like uh, why did you know derrick henry fall the five slot why did uh i don't know trying to why did alvin kamara fall to the 10 hole like just taking those guys i think is still the most plus ev strategy just because like you're getting in a different construction than everybody else who is drafting in the nine spot and and sometimes i think people can outthink themselves and i feel like that's really prevalent in best ball yeah i 
because I'm doing so many drafts, I've been liking to really mix up my starts, like doing random stuff. Like my thought is that after uh, Christian McCaffrey and after Dalvin Cook, there's a pretty big tier break as far as like what we're getting. And I really think you could make like non like illogical arguments for, you know, picks three through 20 all being like the solid next pick. Like, I know that's a huge gap, but you know, the range of projection there and the fragility of that projection is huge. So I want to mix it up. And to your point, a lot of times you get pigeonholed into the same groups of players just by your draft slot. It's like, okay, if you pick at pick nine or 10, like you're, you're getting like Jonathan Taylor and Calvin Ridley or like every, like it's the same grouping. So I've been doing weird stuff. Like I'll take Stefan Diggs at, at one Oh three. And then you know, pair him with like a Justin Jefferson and a DK Metcalf because otherwise Diggs is always going between a band of like pick 10 to 14 and you're never getting Justin Jefferson or Metcalf with him just where you're picking in that range. So to your point, I I like trying to get like different textured starts, just knowing that the majority of the people are going to be anchored to running or the ADP and not get that unique with their starts. Yep, I agree. And I think to me, that's sort of something that I know has been helpful with my DFS process, particularly with NBA down the home stretch where I started to have uh, some bigger wins was just, you know, taking lineups, sorting through lineups that were just a different construction, but using the same kind of core pieces that, you know, were deemed to be guys that you have to have for, you know, based on my projections in a given day. And I think that's sort of what I'm trying to do with the NFL best ball stuff too, is that you're trying to draft outside of your own biases too, a little bit where like, I love Jalen Hurts. I love, you know, a lot of these guys I'm going to talk about now. I'm actually going to list off some guys and Pete, you can tell me if you approve of them or not. Yeah. I love Brandon cooks. Like I think some of these guys, it's going to be natural to get to them based on how I view the board. So just going out of type and taking somebody else in those spots that I end up with those guys a lot, I think is just kind of you playing contrarian against yourself is the best way to get some different looks. But um, that's sort of my overall observations. We'll obviously be talking a lot more about this stuff as we go, but let me list off some names. You tell me yay or nay on them and give your thoughts. Brandon cooks is a guy tweeted about that, that Jack settlement also agreed. One of his favorite guys actually had a lot of people engaging with me on that one saying that Brandon cooks was their guy. I think he's deeply undervalued. Like I think whether it's Watson there or somebody else, that Texans team is going to suck. I would say this year and defensively. And that's the main thing to me, opening up a lot of passing value and people are willing to take Nico Collins, but they're not taking Brandon cooks. I don't get it. So where are you with Brandon cooks? Yeah. Uh, I've been, I've drafted a decent amount of Brandon cooks. I feel like having, this is pro- by far like the biggest portfolio of teams I've ever had it, across any format. Like I'm not even a big 150 max that like, so I feel like I'm, very comfortable. Um, I, I don't want to be like full fading or like being like over 50% on any of these guys. Brandon cooks is a guy that I'll grab in specific circumstances. Um, specifically I, I like looking at the playoff schedule and the Texans play a lot of high powered offenses during that stretch. They play the chargers, they play the 49ers. So what I do is I actually think about Brandon cooks as like my bring back for those playoffs. So when I'm stacking up Herbert and Keenan Allen, or I'm getting Kittle and Ayuk, I love grabbing Brandon cooks with the thought being like, if those guys go off with a huge game, Brandon cooks is going to be playing a ton of garbage time and catching a lot of passes. So I have been getting cooks. Uh, I agree. I think he's a nice pick. His ADP is kind of settled in at pick 90 range. And once the like Mike Williams Gallup, you know, Boyd, those guys are off the table. Um, Sometimes in that pocket, when I draft zero RB, I do need to go running back there finally. Uh, So I miss him sometimes, but he's definitely in the mix for me there at pick 90. Yeah, so Cooks to me, one of those guys that jumped in as undervalued. Another guy that, so this guy I don't think is undervalued, but I think out of the mid-tier running backs, like the guys you get maybe, I guess, in the fifth round-ish range or a little bit lower depending on the draft, Mike Davis to me is the one that has the biggest upside. I think the chance to be a top five running back in terms of numbers. And and this is something I was tweeting about with uh, Neil Orfield, who's been a guy I think of one, one of the millionaire makers last year and has been uh, was an awesome member who's done like a fantastic job for himself kind of building his own uh, mini career out of it. And um, he we were talking about the Atlanta offense and I believe in them so much that Mike Davis, I think, is going to rise at that tide, especially given I don't buy the Kadri Allison stuff. I think that they got Mike Davis in for a reason to get a lot of touches. So to me, Pete, he's one of the most crucial running backs for me. He's in half my lineups that I've drafted so far, and I imagine that ratio is going to hold up. So where are you landing with Mike Davis? Real quick, uh, on this Brandon Cook slander, he's had five 1,000-yard seasons uh, <laughs> in his career. I, I don't know where you're only getting one good season, but... Um, I would say him and Mike Evans from that draft class. I mean, he's been, he's benefited from being on some really good offenses, having, you know, Drew Brees, Tom Brady and stuff. 
but like Brandon Cooks, it, it, Brandon Cooks, Brandon Cooks is very good and has been consistently good. And uh, I'm not in the business of projecting injuries. Will Fuller yeah. was injury prone until he wasn't last year either. So uh, yeah, I'm not fading guys because I'm trying to predict injuries. Um, Mike Davis is a guy I don't have a ton of. Um, okay. my thought process is this, like Mike Davis is a guy I think I'll take more in managed leagues where like I need some running back production out of the gate. I guess I'm just, when I'm building my teams, I'm often like, who are the guys who I think weeks 15 through 17 could be these hammer plays. And I am just at his age and with kind of the, uh, ambiguity in that backfield, I'm kind of worried that he could be just this hammer running back play down the stretch. And I'm more worried about, other guys cropping up. The problem is, and, and why I think the counter argument, it's like, well, who else is going to crop up? Like JV and Hawkins, the rookie they took late or Quadri Olison. So like, I get it. Um, but I just, I'd rather in that range, grab a Javante Williams, a Travis ETN. Um, and even in that one for one, I generally break ties in favor of miles Gaskin, but I certainly see, I certainly see the, the bull case for Mike Davis, but he's not a guy I'm making a bet on. So a lot of my strategy is based upon trying to fill the volume holes that are going to be behind in Mike Davis. If I think that Atlanta offense is going to be productive, and I think too, it's worth pointing out, you know, them changing coaches that it wouldn't be surprising me if you do see more Tennessee principles brought over from Arthur Smith and the way they ran that offense. And it could have been more run heavy because, you know, having a head coach like, like Mike Vrabel going to be a, you know, a little more relying on the defense, relying on the running game and all of that. But I think there's a chance that Davis could end up being a high touch guy. Like, you know, not, not like Derrick Henry, obviously, because he's not going to be that good, but a guy who can get a mix of dump offs and get those handoffs and get that kind of volume while being a part of an offense that looks like that. I think that's a best case scenario. Worst case scenario, I think he's just going to benefit from Calvin Ridley goes down at the one. Kyle Pitts goes down at the one. You see Mike Davis pick up those touches in addition to some PPR points. So that's why I like Mike Davis. That's the case I have for him, but I certainly get taken on some risk there. Um, other guys will go through fast and we'll start the playmaker run here in six minutes, I guess, with the, uh, the episode we got to get through. But Tevin Coleman, I think, is one I'm intrigued by. Everybody's taking Michael Carter a lot higher, and I feel like you could certainly say Ty Johnson maybe is one who picks up some run for the Jets, but Coleman, I feel like he fits the same theory here. And, and Pete, I feel like he might fit your, oh, he's dusty. He's old. Go with the younger guy. But like Tevin Coleman has been with this coach before. He's been a part of a squeezy air out of the ball offense in San Francisco before. And I feel like Coleman's me is just going to be a guy that Sala kind of gravitates too early. And maybe he does end up being healthy and have the full year of run. So I think he's undervalued. And I think he's one of those zero RB guys that I get to a lot. So how are you feeling about Tevin Coleman? Yeah, I actually like Tevin Coleman. I have a decent amount of him. And to me, he feels like a very, I know this sounds crazy, but a very similar bet is Mike Davis in that it's an ambiguous situation um, there as far as how that could shake out, but he's going so much later. And I do really think when they open up the season, Tevin Coleman's going to get the first carry. Uh, I think Michael Carter, um, the, the range of outcomes on Michael Carter is massive. Like, could he run away with the bell cow role? Sure. Of course. Could he just suck and they never trust him and he doesn't ever see the field that could also happen. Um, again, he was only a fourth round pick. It wasn't like he was some really highly drafted running back. So yeah, I love Tevin Coleman. He's a guy I think you're going to get, um, some nice weeks out of like people in general just seem down on him. Like he was like coming out of the combine and I know he's older. Like he was one of these big fast backs. He profiled like DeMarco Murray, like, like the big upright runners, but super fast could hit the hole. And I still saw burst in him at San Francisco. So yeah, I think with Zach Wilson in this offense being better, no more Adam Gase. And uh, I could totally see Tevin Coleman having some nice starts at the beginning of the season. I think defensively too, they might be better and defensively, you know, that's what matters. If that defense can hold up, you're going to see more Tevin Coleman touches. And I think Michael Carter, like his numbers do really grade out well based on the PFF data that we talked about uh, before the draft. And I've looked at a little bit more like he and Javante Williams, I think really do grade out as guys that have the results in college, but I'm still going to err on the side of trusting the veteran a little more in these split backfields. Um, some other guys, I got Alex Madison. I feel like the logic on that one is just Dalvin Cook. We know the injury history has been there. You know that there's a decent probability that one of the star running backs goes down. It's me. Madison, I feel like is reliable enough Pete where he's going to get some touches every week. That's the main part to me. In addition to hey, if, if cook goes out one or two weeks, you're going to have those Madison 20, 30 fantasy point weeks. So to me, I think he's just the guy you take in the middle rounds and feel perfectly good about. Yeah. I, uh, 
I, I've been drafting a ton of Madison. He's really fallen. There's kind of like the handcuff tier. And I do prefer these other guys, but like Darrell Henderson, Tony Pollard, AJ Dillon, they go, you know, between one pick 110 and 130. And Madison's going at pick 150. And I'm often getting my third or fourth running back there. And it's basically I'm splitting. I'll either grab Devin Singletary or I'll grab Alexander Madison there. Uh, so yeah, I'm on Madison. I think he's a good handcuff bet. I think the case against Madison is we've seen games where he's gone down uh, or sorry, Cook's gone down. He stepped in and then the Vikings get down in the game and they don't use Madison. But really all you need is those to break in favor of the Vikings in a couple of those spots. And Madison has the Dalvin Cook game. And if you get two like bell cow weeks from Madison at that cost, he's going to be a smash. Like you don't have to have him playing the whole season as a bell cow for that to work out. You really only need a few big games. Yeah. Then it really all it takes is a Dalvin cook injury as well. And then Madison's going to be a top 10 running back, regardless of how he's looking these week to week sample sizes. So yeah, that's, that's my logic too. I think we're on the same page. This one you might. And so here are these last three, I think are ones you might not agree with as much Jared cook. I love a lot. I think he's going to rise with that chargers offense. I think in this spot for him, a guy who's going to throw a lot of deep balls out, you know, just in general to anybody who's going to be open. That's me is what Jared Cook has been missing the last few years being in New Orleans. And I think in this spot, you know, for Jared Cook, he's going really low at tight end. I think he's the guy, if you're taking, you know, a Kyle Pitts, me, I think comes with a good amount of risk or, you know, a little more risk. He's a rookie and, and there is still Hayden Hurst there. But I do think that Jared Cook is just, to me, you're probably not getting you much more than four or five targets a game, but he's going to have explosive weeks and I think be viable most weeks. So he's a tight end I like a lot late, Pete. So how are you on Jared Cook? Yeah, I, I don't mind Jared Cook. I think early on in the offseason, of course, my age bias was keeping me away from him, and I've done a little bit of a 180 on him. The wide receiver three in uh, in L.A. seems completely wide open, and I, I don't really have confidence that you know Tyron Johnson, Guyton, the rookie Palmer, that any of them could be a major factor. And uh, and yeah, and you know everyone wants Donald Parham to be a thing, uh, our XFL superstar, but. I do think Jared Cook is going to be third in targets on the team this year. And he looked pretty good last year uh, with the Saints. So uh, I do think there's always risk in him wearing down. But at his cost, he's going pick 160 and often slides well past that. I love tossing him into my Herbert stacks. Uh, last two guys that I have on my list that I just want to bring up Marvin Jones. I feel like also going too late and this might be uh, something that goes right, uh, right in the face of everything that Pete believes, but Marvin Jones, I think is going to be the guy who sort of benefits from all the other guys, you know, LaVisca, of course, DJ Chark, I think getting the ball downfield, the offense overall looking better on, under urban Meyer and Jones, I think is going to be that steady hand who the best comp to me probably is going to be Nelson Aguilar last year, where just a guy who gets the red zone targets more than some of the other guys are going to have in the roster. And I think that's me gives him some value. In addition to the chance that he could just end up as a wide receiver one because of the veteran presence, because of the reliability that probably won't be there with DJ Chark based on the quotes we've seen so far. And, and Visca, even though, of course, he will be a godsend at some point, probably not there yet enough to fully hurt Marvin Jones. Yeah, Marvin Jones, uh, a tricky one for me. I believe I, I hate that I know all these ADPs off the top of my head right now. I believe his ADP is pick 118. Um, it's generally in the range where I'm more excited about trying to grab a Bateman, a Rager, a younger guy. Um, if I do get a Visca or DJ Chark, I do like grabbing him there. And then you can right after that grab Trevor Lawrence for a double stack. I guess the things I'm more worried about is, you know, if both him and Chark are playing on the outside, um, what kind of targets is he going to get? Also, their wide receiver four right now is Colin Johnson, big bodied guy that can also play on the outside. So, um, I've doubted Marvin Jones like many, many years, many weeks in DFS, and he still has very big games in him. And I think if Trevor Lawrence is as good as advertised, Marvin Jones is going to have some big games. So I guess I'm he's one of those guys I'm not forcing it on, but I have no problem with if you can get a little bit of a value. And here's the one I think you're going to hate the most. Deshaun Jackson, I think, is intriguing going at the bottom of the draft. I know uh, there's been some buzz. Our Anthony Amico, who we've done some shows with, I know, or I think we did at least one show with on the ship chasing stream, um, mentioned that Tutu Atwell is a guy that he's got his eye on. And I feel like after how he nailed the draft, I'm a little bit of terrified, a little bit terrified going against anything that Amico says. But I think to me, Deshaun Jackson being a veteran presence, being a deep ball guy in a roster that doesn't really have anybody who grades out as that guy right now. And Matt, then Matt Stafford being in the mix, I don't know. He's 
going to have to throw as much as he had to in the past. Obviously, in Detroit, where uh, defense is much worse, the team is much worse. This defense will not be bad, I think, even if it does regress from being a top of the league defense. But Deshaun Jackson, I think, is just going to benefit from Stafford's going to get to do Stafford throws a few times a game, and they have to go somewhere. And I don't think they're going to necessarily go to Robert Woods, or probably not as much as Cooper Cup as well, still playing out of the slot. So Deshaun, to me, I think is worth that late round flyer. And Pete, are you disgusted by this or no? No, he's another one where um, it's like one of those things where I wish I could draft uh, have like Deshaun Jackson for the first half of the season before he gets injured and then have Tutu Atwell when he kind of replaces him in the second half of the season. Uh, I I would say I've been drafting like Tutu with slightly more frequency, like when I'm trying to add something into my Matt Stafford uh, stacks, but I've been sprinkling in some Deshaun Jackson. I mean, he was the he's better in best ball before that phrase even existed. And yeah, I mean, if he's healthy, like he's kind of like Tom Brady, where I just don't really want to bet against him not having it because he's just seems like he's really good and uh, always hasn't lost a step. So as long as he's on the field, I definitely see that. I guess I'm kind of in the Mike Davis thing. I just worry. Can I picture him as giving me a couple spike weeks, weeks 15 through 17? And that seems a little shakier. Yeah, so we'll keep talking about the stuff. Obviously, as we go, we we sort of have been doing our own thing with the uh, the fantasy football content in the off season because there's always so much you could talk about. But now we are. I'm getting in the mode, Pete. I'm getting my head there. I'm getting my getting honestly horrified by the amount of people that I think are overdrafting some of the young guys. I know we all like the young. <laughs> I'm gonna say the young trim, Pete. <laughs> the young trim walking into the league. But I do feel like uh, at a certain point they're being overvalued, and I, I might be team old guy a little more in best ball so far. But that'll continue to evolve. Um, Either way, guys, hit the like button if you can. I feel like we had some trolling coming through the chat. So show us a little love and hit the like button, whether you're watching on Pete's stream or the Splash Play stream. And if you're here for the first time, make sure to subscribe to the channel, whether it be Pete's channel or the Splash Play YouTube channel, because we are doing these shows every week and talking about everything. And that includes ESPN Playmakers episode 10, tenth of a second. Uh, Pete, I'll give you a chance here for any overall thoughts because I have to say the shortest amount of notes that I've had for any episode yeah. we've had, but yet there was no lack of absurdity, including uh, Snoop Dogg in this episode as a guest star wearing a don't do drugs shirt at one point. Yeah, I think the bit, I agree with you. I had not as many notes, still plenty of ridiculous things that happened I, to me, like the big thing. And I just, I just need to kind of like clarify this at the top. Snoop Dogg is not playing himself. He's playing a character, DH's brother, but his character's name is Snoop. No, the character's name is Big E. I thought it, I thought they called him Snoop. No, so they reference Snoop Dogg as a musical artist in reference to something else. But it, yeah, okay, that threw me because when he said Snoop, I was like, wait, okay, I, I did think I might have messed that up then because that confused me so much when they reference Snoop. You know, he's Big E, uh, I think Edmund Harris, I think was his okay. real name. Okay, all right. Then that's not as ridiculous as I thought it was. I was like, that was going to be so <laughs> weird. If he I did make a note of that too, because uh, Big Sexy does go like something like, oh, Whitney and Snoop or whatever, make some reference to it. And it's like, I guess I was trying to be self-referential, but instead yeah. because this show is so bad at establishing characters that it did seem like he was just playing Snoop Dogg. Okay, all right. Yeah. I feel much better than that's not the case. You, you yes. win that one, Playmakers. <laughs> yeah, so Playmakers, so, so well layered that uh, we obviously were expecting the worst and we're surprised by the best, but Episode 10, 10th of a second. And of course, it's the second to last episode. So we'll have the finale coming up next week. And oh, that's going quick, to be real yeah. quick. Max, I am. I am going to be off next week. But oh. the, the next time we do uh, the show will be the finale. Okay, so yeah, so the next time we do the show, then I know we're fine either way because we were planning to carry this through until uh, August and then ramping up our football content. So if you have been here just for Playmakers, kudos to you for just finding the show and only caring about Playmakers. But uh, we'll be going back to more regular fantasy football stuff coming up soon. And of course, watch the Splash Play pod handle to know when we cover the last episode. But the show opens this week. Leon catching a pass for a 20-yard gain as there's four seconds left versus the Condors. And at least they passed the end of the game was my observation here. DH and Leon exchange a pound because they I guess they're bros now but uh, they are not really bros it seems based on what we saw afterwards DH scores it seems to be the game winning touchdown as Leon looks sad and and Pete once again I feel like this episode continues our journey to realize that Leon Taylor just a terrible teammate in every possible situation yeah neither of these guys can be happy for each other but again like another situation that I'm I might have wrong but how I interpreted it was that they ran a run play with only a few seconds left on the clock and no timeouts there at the goal line when DH punched it in that, that seems incredibly risky um, of a move there, but it did work out for them. 
it's it's risky, but it's not through the prism of they just want to run the ball whenever they can. <laughs> the fact they threw the ball at all with McConnell is probably a big surprise for this offense. Um, we then have Big Sexy being mad afterwards. Um, and I guess uh, he was controlling the jukebox. And DH says there's not enough offensive linemen in the league that controls the box. So I guess we're learning some football hierarchy there. Big Sexy's mad, though, because the guy framed for the club shooting a few episodes ago is now going to jail for life. And I feel like, if anything, Pete, the lack of evidence, all this other stuff, and uh, certainly people lying outright about the actual shooter really just a poor reflection on the police work going on in addition to the domestic violence issue with leon yeah um you know big sexy is big mad uh right here and uh yeah it's gonna be a rough episode for cal here and uh it's still incredible that uh dh has caped up for uh him despite his apparent disdain for his cronies as well so yes this was uh quite the episode for cal yeah, DH still battling those uh, inner loyalties slash demons that have uh, kept him in this spot. But we'll talk a lot more about that. But we get some time with Coach uh, talking to uh, Cuck Phil is what we've called him in the past. So this episode seems like they're calling him Chambers more. So I presume his name is Phil Chambers. Uh, but the coach has to confirm with him that if they win their next two games, they can make the playoffs. Chambers clarifies that they need New Jersey to beat Boston. Memphis has to beat Nashville. And they also have to finish ahead of Phoenix in the margin of victory, which I feel like is a lot of things that have to go right for the CMP that I th they've won every game for the last month. And they are still apparently needing a lot of work here to get into the playoffs. Yeah. And I love how the coach asks cuck boy to like run through the different scenarios and then cuts him off and says, it's all, it's too complicated. We just need to win and uh, everything else will work out. So uh cuck boy uh, also um, trying to get a letter of recommendation, just like this is an absolutely really rough episode for Cuckboy. Like he admits that he's not getting like a seventh grade head coaching uh, football job. I mean, just just taking an absolute bath this episode. He's also one of those guys like we saw in the other episode with the girl Dee Dee who is interested in a banging McConnell and not interested in uh, being from the same hometown as Phil. But like he's really obsessed with his hometown in a way that's kind of creepy. Like even the way he's like, oh, the mighty Patriots is what their team name was. And like I, I get that he loves his hometown or whatever, but like you're working for an NFL team. And then by the end of the show, we'll find out that Phil actually, I guess, is not getting promoted within the team, but is at least getting more recognized within it. Like he's at the apex of the position. And he just wants to go back to his shitty hometown. And I feel like let him have it at this point. Yeah. Uh, also, real quick, because it seems like some of the people who came here for best ball talk and are hanging around. Uh, so we've been recapping ESPN's canceled show Playmakers the past 10 weeks. This is our 10th week uh, recapping it. It's an absolute absurd show. Uh, I won't offend you if you or you won't offend me if you uh, don't want to watch this, uh, having not watched Playmakers, but our archives uh, are there for you. I highly recommend watching Playmakers and then watching our recap episodes with it. Um, so yes, that is what we are doing here right now. Yes, that is that is the journey we have been on here because we are, you know, Pete does a lot of best ball shows, obviously on his channel. So make sure to go watch all those too. But you know, we're just trying to fill content. We're trying to find creative ways to engage the community. And what but what more creative way is there, Pete, than an eighteen year old show uh, that is. Uh, clearly proven to be dated at every possible turn. Yeah, could we have just titled this video my top five favorite picks in best ball drafts right now and had 100 people watching and then done a draft? And yeah, we could do that. But Spags and I are incredibly stubborn. Instead, we'd rather recap uh, a show that like only, you know, 2,000 people on the planet have seen. <laughs> you know, as we suffer for our art really more than anything, but uh, we, yeah, so there are links, by the way, in the description as well to check it out. I think it uh, might be, yeah, it's down right down in the, the pizza description as well, uh, but you can always see whatever episode you watch and watch it if you want to just come back. Uh, it's a 40-minute show, so check it out and then come join us afterwards, but we appreciate you guys. Oh, Friday Night Lights recaps actually would be pretty good too, but that's, that's something for next offseason perhaps. <laughs> back to this show though today, uh, Phil the Cuckboy of course has his issues. We'll talk more about that. The film room we, is where we're at next with the QB McConnell throwing behind Taylor on a crucial fourth down play. And McConnell, of course, ever the man who doesn't take his job seriously, jokes about throwing it where he thought a 30-year-old could catch it. And Pete, I feel like the one thing that you'll notice with McConnell is he's getting laughs every time he does his film room bits. And I feel like that's probably more, that, more important in this part than him actually being a good quarterback. Yeah. Um, sorry, I got uh, distracted again. Oh, the, uh, the are you talking about the stuff with uh, McConnell getting taken through the ringer of all the guys uh, giving him random shit to do. Was that what you mentioned? No, no McConnell doing the film room stuff and then saying that he could throw the football wherever oh. a 30 year old could catch it. And of course, because you know, he's always about the jokes much like you, Pete, in some respects, I feel like you're probably the most like McConnell out of every character on the show. That's um, 
that's both it's it's hard out of no because when you qualify it as on the show like that really so you're not a dh out. i guess <laughs> it, it has i i don't know i'm i'm not dh i guess i get I, I mean like if you're getting a comp of someone you're gonna have to take a lot of shit with that comp and so <laughs> yeah, like I, I guess i have to be gerwitz then i don't know <laughs> um, i want hang on let me think of your pro bowl. i'll take it <laughs> um i would say i would say you're olshik Oh, I think I, I feel like my rep on the streets, I'd be more of a DH, I think. Not like with the less, less addiction, I guess, or less problematic addiction would be. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, as long as, uh, yeah, you don't want to be Will Banks. That's that's the cop no. you don't want. No, that's, yeah. So Will Banks is uh, apparently still going to be negotiating with Leon, or at least Leon thinks he will. Leon at 65 yards on 12 carries, 39 yards on three catches, which continues me just marking down the stats here just to note whenever there is actual football going too. on. <laughs> and yeah, honestly, great day by Leon. I feel like he's proven his case, at least based on the fantasy numbers. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like on that usage, um, you know, in best ball, if you are drafting him around pick 150, I guess half point PPR, that's giving you six, 12 and a half points. I mean, that's not winning anyone their league, but it's nice kind of solid production. He also has that contingent value. If DH goes down, I mean, Leon stepping into a bell cow role. But uh, yes, I love I love this uh, story arc with Leon uh, flashing and then doing his best to uh, prove to the coaches that he deserves more playing time, despite the fact that that DH crushes whenever he's in the game and there's really no reason to give Leon the ball more. And he's clearly a much bigger star at everybody too. DH has been the better back in every possible way. Will Banks thinks that Leon, uh, or at least uh, coach saying that Will Banks thinks that Leon is a situational back, a guy who can't carry the load. Uh, he's revealing, I guess, Leon didn't think there's even a possibility that there won't be a renegotiation of his contract. Will Banks is not going to renew him. Um, he has scouts currently looking for a backup in the draft. And, um, you know, Pete, there was a mistake made in not trading Leon for draft capital in the first place. But the first round pick they turned down. <laughs> yeah, they could have gotten a first round pick for a guy. They're not even going to resign, but I do think Will Banks at least go into the draft. Hopefully he's looking more at fourth, fifth, sixth rounders, but that is one smarter usage, I guess, of team capital than continuing to pay a, an aging running back who they don't even want to play. Yeah, that is the most, the most realistic and believable story arc on playmakers this year is from them going uh, from just like overvaluing both their running backs, like not trading the backup for a first and the third, running the ball 45 times a game to actually being like running backs don't matter. And he's like, we can, uh, there's only like a handful of running backs in the league that can make this play when they're watching the film. Everyone else is just replaceable. And I was like, holy cow, we, we did it. We have a believable storyline. Yeah, so that is uh, you know, that is the way that it goes for DH. He's a, a star player. Leon is a guy who doesn't even want to learn the scheme because he's a diva at this point in his career. But Snoop Dogg, who we meet as a community organizer who won't take uh, his brother, I guess DH, won't take his donation for private security. He just wants to get some signed balls and stuff so they can raise money and get their own security. DH is there to visit the kids and presumably this time not steal the drugs as we saw a few episodes ago. Uh, afterwards, DH is ripping shots of cheap vodka at the bar when Cal and his bum friends show up and the crew Cal in particular is celebrating because of this guy uh, who got life in jail instead of him after uh, Cal shot a guy at a club. Honestly, this must be horrifying to hear some like if somebody watched the best ball part and is tuning in here like, what the fuck is this show? Because <laughs> it's incredibly convoluted to explain 10 episodes in. Yeah. Uh, also, I just don't want to skip over the part where uh, DH is at the community center and uh, Snoop is showing him like the code of conduct, which is like the most vanilla like code of conduct written out for kids like be nice and dh is seriously like wow you guys set some st high standards here <laughs> it's like don't punch people like don't do drugs and he's like damn man this seems like a, a hard thing not to do yeah, that would never fly in a uh, fake nfl locker room like dh is in uh but we see that dh leaves to go see uh snoop again and is uh blows up on cowl in the process uh but then dh hits a woman on a bike driving out and i guess you know this is one of those things that's completely random but you have to remember that dh is ripping the shots of vodka but i feel like dh hitting a woman on a bike was just bad luck at this point and at, at worst relative to playmakers and the story writing like this is the plot device for this poor woman to get smashed coming out of a parking lot yeah on the other hand i mean in that montage i didn't slow it down but i had it at somewhere between just like five to six shots that he ripped within like a 10 minute span yeah. uh so also why like you have all of your boys like why aren't you having Cal drive for you? Like 
he's right there. Like, why do we even have to do the pretend after the fact? Like, just why isn't Cal driving for you to begin with? Um, he's clearly a competent guy. He can take down guys in the club. Like, he's he's a henchman you want behind the wheel anyways. Yeah, so Cal agrees to, I guess, without even saying anything, really just takes over the wheel. DH knows that DH can't get busted. Uh, but then throughout this whole process, uh, Snoop picks up DH's phone. And we're just going to call him Snoop, even though the character is Big E. Uh, Snoop picks up DH's phone. And Big Sexy, ever the guy who loves the expository plot, just tells the entire thing on this call, assuming that uh, that Snoop is DH, even though he doesn't say a word, really. And uh, a convenient plot device again, but a, clearly an important one, Pete, because uh, we learned that Snoop much opposed to his real life stance is immediately going to go to the cops. Yeah. I, uh, I love that. There's always the way that like in TV and movies, how they handle phone stuff. Like no one ever says hello or says bye to each other. It's just, you answer the phone and they start talking or you just hang up. There's no, uh, politeness, uh, there. So yeah, what a random occurrence for the first words out of his mouth to be revealing what actually happened in a murder case. Who, how, how fortunate was Snoop to hear that? Yeah, I'm no crime expert, but I will say for all of you guys out there, if you ever do commit a crime, I, you know, just have a couple of lines of casual conversation before you launch into your full uh, admitting to whatever crimes you did or just, you know, talking about the information you know about crimes. That's just going to be, I think, crime 101 stuff that sometimes they don't teach you in crime school. Uh, Leon wants to run the maze, which is some sort of combine, but he wants to show Will Banks that he could be a lead back. And it feels like a wasted effort, given that Will Banks doesn't seem to want Leon on any turn. And Leon tells Olshik, how many home runs did Barry Bonds hit before 30, 245 after 400. And he also compares himself to Michael Jordan because he's delusional. But Leon referencing a PD cheat and Barry Bonds and the greatest athlete of all time, greatest and also most ruthless, ruthless athlete of all time. And Michael Jordan, uh, wild moves here by Leon as a guy who they want to do community work at this point. And I love that we got the montage too, like the black and white. Didn't we have the Muhammad Ali like knockout in there when they were showing the old like grainy uh, highlights of, of sports legends? Yeah, it was. I mean, Leon has a really either we are being misled by the show about his place in the sports world or he is the most delusional narcissist we've ever had in any sort of uh, piece of football content out there. But uh, coach won't put Leon through the maze. Olshik does it with him. Leon hits 32 rips, reps on the bench um, Then he's doing the vertical jump. And Olshik says this time, not like a white guy, because I guess Leon's vertical leap wasn't that good. And I have to say, you know, it seemed like Leon had a great time at the combine. Pete seemed like he was performing well. But when you watch him actually do the athletic things like it didn't feel like a man who was killing all these drills yeah i was gonna say the bench to me was impressive like 30 reps at 225 i think christian mccaffrey like only did seven or eight at 225 at the combine uh i will say i absolutely love this like i have wanted this in current nfl for a long time like a mid-career combine like earlier we were talking about deshaun jackson and if you told me he's still running like even a four, four or whatever, I'd be like, okay. But if we were to test Deshaun Jackson, he's like more at a four, six right now or something. It's like, okay, maybe he's lost it. So I conceptually, I absolutely love this idea of retesting guys because so much what we know about them is just anchored to one day at the combine or their pro day. And uh, I think it would be fascinating to have a mid-career combine for these guys. So I don't think they would do it, but hear me out on this concept. What if we had like late in career combine where it's like the late, like Le'Veon Bell, Frank Gore, um, who else is out there right now? I'm trying to like any free agent running back who's perceived to be on the downhill. You put that on NFL network and you have the, you know, a yeah. close to retirement combine that do that, that would do crazy numbers. You would think at least like crazy social media engagement numbers. It would, it would be awesome. Uh, and I get like, there's risk I get for those guys. Like, Everyone and their their uh, agents are trying to kind of control the narrative that they still got it. And in the most case, the numbers would probably be pretty disappointing. But if it was all on an equal playing field and you're doing it with the other veterans, like the, the NFL is still a meritocracy, like let give the teams more information uh, about these guys. Uh, so yeah, I, I would absolutely love it. I agree with you. Like in think about the fantasy football community, like the dynasty community, mm -hmm. we would eat this shit up like the veteran combine. Yeah, and you could make it a reality. There's a lot of ways you could take this if the NFL really wants to squeeze some some blood out of that stone. But Leon seemingly looked like he had a good 40 time, but he does show his his maze results. And I guess this is also the question I have. Like, they call it the maze. Uh, could they not call it the combine? Like, was there some sort of copyright thing where you can't call it a combine? I Now that you say that, I wonder... NFL... I, I, I would assume the NFL has that copyrighted. I can just completely see that. 
Because like the other leagues have combines, but maybe it's something where like that's not competitive because like there's an NBA draft combine that they show. But I don't know. It's it struck me as odd that they couldn't say combine. and kept calling it the maze. But Leon's showing his maze results to coach who's skeptical, but intrigued by how this man is slightly stronger and I guess faster in some drills than, uh, than before. Uh, his cone drills were up. Some of the, ver I guess, horizontal type drills were up. But his 40 time was down to a 4.6 from a 4.5. And then coach shows him film another running back in the league to prove that one tenth of a second is the difference between hitting a hole and not. And it used to be Leon, and that's the big thing. And I feel like Coach made a pretty compelling case here, Pete, that that point one seconds means everything in the league. And Leon is probably shouldn't even have a job at this point. Yeah, uh, I yeah. Going back to the uh, this was the running backs don't matter uh, moment for them uh, there, and uh, Leon, you know, having to uh, to come face to face with that. I loved him actually timing the uh, the tenths of a second as he uh, played the clip of the guy hitting the hole. I, I don't know if I completely. Uh, followed along with his point he was trying to make but telling leon he was old and dusty came through loud and clear <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's the leon the lesson that leon really needs every time uh cuck phil i guess cannot get it cannot get the job even with the high school despite a recommendation from an nfl coach which i feel like is a pretty big indoctrination on on phil's capability for any job but a uh, coach now would give him a chance to do some coaching work on the team and uh phil also later in the show and i feel like we have to make up some time here so i'm gonna just skip around a little bit but uh phil with mcconnell as a refusing to do some bit work that he normally has to do as a team manager including fixing i guess uh, mcconnell's towel length and his microphone he snaps on mcconnell then mcconnell ends up getting him a raise and also a better he's actually part of the health insurance plan after not being a part and i feel like pete overall for phil like phil is clearly i think meant to be a likable character even though we call him Cuckboy phil but he is really the ultimate failing up where it's just a, a mediocre white guy getting a success because the qb put his ass on the line for him and it was so devastating. And you, you, when you do think like, oh, he's going to get like this raise, it, I, they say raise, but then it makes it seem like all he got was insurance and a parking spot, uh, which is just like, oh, my God. It, it, he's like about to cry with how happy he is just to be on insurance now. Uh, and uh, yes, also going crazy uh, after McConnell told him to chop chop was uh, was great. So even Cuckboy has his breaking point. Yeah, McConnell, I guess, is one of the weeks where he's mostly a good guy, does help Phil out and does point out as well that, uh, you know, Phil is only 28, but he's in the beginning of his career. He's going to do a lot of things, whereas McConnell's already at the halfway point of his career. And by the time they're both in their 40s, McConnell will be probably working for him anyway. So he's paying it forward in a way that benefits himself. So maybe you could still say that McConnell's being an asshole. Uh, Leon and Olshik are getting taped up. And I don't know if you enjoyed this, Pete, but I enjoyed Leon doing a bit with the tape as a microphone where he was doing like some sort of character voice. And I thought... It just stood out to me that Leon, amidst all the stress he's having in his life, uh, still does continue to be, he just wants to make jokes. And that's what we know about Leon Taylor, a funny man. Yeah, Leon, um, when I look at Leon, it, you know, he just always makes me laugh. He's just kind of a fun dude, always cracking jokes um, and, you know, pushing his wife down the stairs. Like, just one of the funniest guys on this show. Yeah, he is really a laugh riot when when his wife goes flying down the stairs. That's that's when Leon really brings his his bid equity to the table. But Leon is going to be set up with the assistant GM Benziger, who's Olchik's friend. After Olchik, I guess, was playing really poorly earlier in his career and made friends with them as a result. Uh, Benziger uh, meets with Leon after just getting the prompt from uh, from Olchik that Leon wants to meet with him. He makes it sound like Leon's still viable as a player based on his last week. But Benziger says that yeah, Will Banks wants to bring him on board, and it turns out it's for a front office job. Leon says. He and Woolbanks are incapable of treating people with respect. Leon asserts that he's a player, and I feel like a cushy, a cushy community relations role, Pete, uh, probably not the worst fallback for Leon, and he's not making friends with this attitude of his. Can we talk about the 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 guy, the actor who played this? Like, the, he, he he sounded like an auctioneer. Like the way he was talking, it was so funny to me how overacted that was like his, his enthusiasm for pitching him on this role. He's like, yeah, we'll just go grab a couple of steaks and then we'll do that. And you'll be great. You'll be our community manager. Let's do it. What do you say? You want to sign here? Let's sign right now. <laughs> he definitely had a bit of a car salesman vibe, but I feel like that's like the traveling road scouts that would always be in football yeah. movies from like the eighties where there's a bit of a scumminess to them that you just had to be because you're on the road eating at diners, looking at kids play football. I guess maybe that just correlates well. Yeah. I mean, you said like front office job. I don't know of head of community relations. Like that sounds, 
I don't see him sniffing the front office in, in that role. <laughs> it's a cushy job. It's more of a ceremonial one, but like he, maybe he gets a sash out of it and a, a wand to wave around <laughs> and he could wave at people, have a good time. Uh, big, big sexy. I have in the notes here does reference Snoop while in a fictional storyline in which Snoop is an actor. So that's the part. Uh, it does tell DH that somebody went to go to the cops about Cal. DH then goes to see Snoop at the community center with the kids. Snoop is wearing his don't do drug shirt. Snoop calls DH out, says that holding Cal, uh, Holding Cal accountable and supporting him would be the real friend move rather than lying for him. So Snoop lectures DH in front of the kids who are now all watching, uh, says some drug dealers were using one of the kids as a gopher, and now that kid is free. DH should also want the innocent lives to be set free. And uh, I feel like this whole storyline, Snoop being the voice of reason in urban life was an interesting character choice for Snoop. And I thought he acted it well, but it's hard to just think like, oh, you're Snoop Dogg. You just smoke weed all the time. And here he is trying to do serious dramatic work. Yeah, I, I was with you at the start. It seemed very weird. By the end, I was believing it. Also, I forgot one random moment uh, when DH first visited uh, Snoop at the gym and Snoop tells him to, you know, keep playing, uh, do their layup drills. And then him and DH go have a conversation. And then he like, he goes, now look at one of the kids over there. And I expect the camera to pan and them to be playing basketball. And it's all the kids lined up with their <laughs> arms crossed, just staring at their conversation. Those kids, I, I feel like he's getting through to the kids clearly because they were not supporting DH. DH's uh, stop snitching repertoire and we're definitely more team Snoop and or, or they just wanted to get back to the layup line drills. I think either way, those kids were clearly locked in. Cal and the crew, though, confront DH about the cops thinking that he snitched. DH says it's Snoop that did it and he doesn't care about doing the right thing, only loyalty. And I, at this point, I feel like now that we, we know the outcome of the episode at this point, DH basically signing his brother's not death warrant, but at least his, his gunshot bullet wound in this situation by uh, not taking his brother's side. Yeah. Um, also, very funny line uh, by Snoop to DH. I was getting laid when you were in diapers, uh, which I thought was a, a great way to flex on your kind of maturity in veteran status on your younger brother. That's true. And DH now, you know, and DH is now the one who gets laid. So he should have matured as well and, and learn a lot more about life. Um, let's see. We got Leon talking. Oh, no, actually, no, we got Woolbanks interrupting Big Sexy, interrogating DH about lying about going to the cops about Cal. Woolbanks says that he has bad news about his brother. He got shot by a Glock. We then see the flashback where the shots were fired. And, and I feel like this is one of those things we can't play the video from. I didn't pull it because of this reason, but Snoop evading the bullets in slow motion was the most unathletic thing possible. And he's also done a wrestling match pizza fit into one of our previous splash play themes and Snoop Dogg like a guy who's rangy and long and you would think you know maybe he's played some basketball or something in his life he is completely unathletic in everything he does yeah that was that was a hilarious slow-mo uh getting shot there uh Cal just doing an absolute awful job of going incognito I mean just maybe rent a car uh, maybe put a ski mask on, maybe take your fuzzy dice off of the mirror, just anything to maybe give you a little bit of cover, but nah, I'm just going to go shoot my boy's brother, uh, cruising down the street in plain daylight. And Lou in the chat pointing out that Snoop does a lot of charity work and charity work in real life. Also, he's his son's uh, football coach. I think he actually has like a, a football team that he coaches that even is independent of his kids. So I think he's, uh, to be clear, I don't think he's a bad guy in real life. I just don't know that he's the one to be like, yeah, like crimes bad don't do crime stuff like his whole career was built off of like i'm the toughest gang guy of them all like i feel like he can't do that both it ways. wouldn't have been funner to see snoop as like at like it would have been fun if snoop was himself and he wants to hang out with dh because dh is superstar and he wants to like smoke a blunt with dh at the studio and dh is like having one of his crises of like i shouldn't do this i shouldn't do this and then he takes a giant rip of one of Snoop's bongs. I mean, like that's the scene I wanted to see. You could have made DH from Compton too, or something in like, or, or in long beach. And he knew Snoop Dogg growing up. Like there was some ways to just play Snoop, but maybe, maybe Snoop didn't want to get shot as himself on a show, which I, I, I guess you could respect as well. Um, yeah. Will Banks uh, is involved in this process. As well, not for whatever reason, not being a dick about it as he is about everything else. Uh, Leon's talk about athletes. Uh, He's talking about athletes staying past their prime and how he used to laugh at them, says he feels like an addict. And then the cameras pan to DH. And I just thought that was a, <laughs> like, there was no reason for that, that shot at DH in the plot line. But the Leon's uh, story here, I feel like maybe they're trying to be sympathetic again. I, I can't ever keep up with Leon because he has eroded all the goodwill he's had ever, if he ever had any on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, the line when it's fourth and long in life and you don't know what to do. Uh, uh, whoever was writing that speech for uh, for Leon uh, or for DH was uh, incredible. 
but yeah, I mean, DH, DH kind of now approaching this situation like Leon does, which is whatever the kind of excuse or out for an issue is the most convenient at the time, that's the one you go with. And so earlier it was lying. And now it's um, because this guy also shot his brother, you kind of have to capitulate and turn him in. Yeah, so Snoop felt left out of getting shot. DH visits him in the hospital. Um, he has a good disposition overall about getting shot. Feels like he was the only guy who didn't get shot in the community, so he felt left out. Snoop saw fuzzy dice in the mirror, which, as Tom points out, Chekhov's fuzzy dice, uh, which are, I guess, DH immediately realized that those were Cal's fuzzy dice. Only one man has fuzzy dice in this world, and that is Cal, the man who can't help but shoot everybody. And <laughs> I do feel like that, Pete, that was a, a bit of an odd move, but Cal rocking the fuzzy dice that's just his brand man that's just classic cal state hey, like the zodiac killer you know every serial killer has their hallmark trading card and for cal it's the uh the dice i'd like to think when he was in the club and uh shot that guy he actually had the dice just kind of like hanging from his neck too uh once you see it's uh, like omar on the wire once you see the dice man coming you know what's about to happen. <laughs> He's just whistling, twirling his dice around <laughs> his neck. But that's Cal also lies to DH in this process, swears he didn't do it. But DH knows because of the fuzzy dice, he knows it couldn't be anybody else. <laughs> also, if you're going to set up Cal, now you guys know if you're going to set up this fictional character from an 18 year old show, put fuzzy dice in your car. That's the sure way to Why do it. Why couldn't we have gotten a seat of DH being mad at Cal for not? Uh, obstructing the fuzzy dice. Be like, you'd be off the hook if you just put the fuzzy dice in the glove compartment, you fucking idiot. Everyone knows that's a classic cow look. You always have the fuzzy dice. Dude, the fuzzy dice have to stay there. I can't even drive without the fuzzy dice hanging around the rear view mirror. I am the fuzzy dice. The fuzzy dice of me. That's... <laughs> anyway, uh, DH gives a statement to the press. <laughs> My team knows I step it up on the field. Short yardage, long yardage, I come through. But when it's fourth and long in life, sometimes you don't know what to do. When the police approached me, I gave a false statement. For that, I apologize. The victim and his family and the individual wrongly accused to my team, to the fans, and especially to my brother. And for this, Pete, for him coming clean, seems like he'll face no legal issues because of this based on what the DA was saying or the detective was saying. But he does get a pound from Big Sexy. And I think that's truly, besides Fuzzy Dice, the thing that we can all aspire to. Yeah. Uh, DH's speech is basically like, fool me once, uh, shame on uh, me, uh, shoot my brother, uh, shame on you. <laughs> it's basically why he uh, changed his mind after this on Cal. So, so that's the end of the episode. No cliffhanger going into no. the finale, I guess. So I, like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen in the finale, but do you have any predictions to give? It's also funny because I feel like now in the era of prestige TV that the penultimate episodes are generally the most interesting or have the most plot. And this felt like just like a throwaway random episode. Yeah, it really felt like with an episode where Snoop Dogg gets shot and of course the fuzzy dice it did feel like not a lot happened in this episode as we are going towards a stretch run. Week 17 is the final episode next week. And actually, I do remember how that part uh, goes down, so I won't spoil it, but uh, should be an interesting turn in that one. Um, final uh, award here we have to give who has the most fantasy upside leon i think based off this one week sample size yeah i mean now that leon's catching passes i mean it gives him a really nice floor uh especially in ppr games there uh so or ppr league so yeah I, i'm gonna give it to leon with you most unrealistic moment of the episode i they feel like has to be the fuzzy dice realization based on everything we talked about yeah the the fuzzy dice being the smoking gun uh, of this situation it feels uh highly unrealistic as does uh snoop despite loose protestations as being the community leader i, I want him smoking weed when i see him on television and maybe mcconnell getting cuckboy fill a promotion i feel like that probably wouldn't happen how about, like, he would just... <laughs> how about a guy who works for the nfl not being able to get a seventh grade coaching job that also seems absurd <laughs> That might be the moment that made the NFL the most mad. I feel like it's either that or DH agreeing to continue lying. I mean, that gets cleaned up by the end of the episode, but uh, Snoop Dogg being shot. I feel like you don't want the NFL to lead to Snoop Dogg getting shot. So there's a lot of things here that are fertile for the NFL to be mad at. And also, um, I think the NFL would be super mad about them even referencing uh, the combine, which they clearly have a copyright on. I think even calling it the maze might have upset them. Uh, the NFL's happiest scene. Um, I, I, I think maybe <sighs> McCall's having fun in the room, making fun of his older teammate. They're all ribbon and having a good time after a win. I, I, I feel like the NFL probably not a lot to be proud of in this episode either. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, just the classic stuff. I think the coach and the player watching the game tape, um, you know, I think that's just some good, wholesome football content.
Asshole of the episode. I think Cal and his fuzzy dice are probably going to earn this one. Uh, I'm going to say DH for ripping shots, uh, hitting a lady in the car, and then setting, <laughs> letting his friend take the dive for it might take the cake. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so you make a compelling it's, argument there. It's, it's close between Cal and DH, just uh, both doing awful, awful things. Cool bro moment of the episode, I think, is still going to be Cal taking the driver's seat there. Like it, uh, he was doing it for self preservation reasons, but he didn't ask a question about it. So I think that's still a cool bro moment. Yeah, and I'll also say um, McConnell getting Cuckboy off of Cobra and onto the you know the team's <laughs> insurance was a pretty cool bro moment. It's he's just been paying for Cobra for five years since he left his like Dairy Queen job or whatever, paid seven hundred fifty dollars a month for the most basic PPO plan. <laughs> poor poor Phil. Uh, teammate bonding of the episode. Uh, I, I feel like getting a pound from Big Sexy after you finally admitted to the litany of crimes you've been a part of for DH, I think, is probably the teammate bonding. Yeah, I would say Olshik kind of like in the buddy comedy vibes of running through the uh, the maze, I should say, with Leon was some good, wholesome kind of teammate bonding there. Best actor award. Um, you know what? I'm going to give it to Snoop. I feel like he was playing out of type. He, he was still cool in the way that you expect Snoop to be, but he was a community organizer in my mind, and I'm willing to ride with that version of Snoop. I No, I agree. I completely bought it by the end of the episode. He is like a legitimately good, charismatic presence uh on tv he's uh he's a fun watch worst actor award not a lot of terrible acting in this one i feel like cal's like not, the guys who aren't cal in that crew i think generally are not good actors so i'm gonna give it to them collectively i'm giving it to the auctioneer guy from the front office he's like hey you want to get a job you can be the community <laughs> relations you can't run the ball anymore but you can help our kids do charity work what do you say what do you say scene that wouldn't be on tv today I think everything would qualify here. I feel like everything was above board for the most part, uh, unless there's something that you're thinking of. Yeah, there wasn't anything just completely across the line. I mean, him just like ripping shots and then nailing the lady and then seeing like the blood coming down her face was like uh, a little jarring, but I, I'm sure that makes it on to TV today still. So. And playmaker of the episode, I think, is probably going to be Cal. I mean, he's just getting things done. <laughs> the fuzzy dice might be one of the favorite bits I think that we've had that have come out of the show. Uh, so I'll say for me, that's got to be Cal. Yeah, I, it's got to be Cal. Definitely, I think is first place. And then I will say, um, I will say McConnell. Uh, you know, getting shit done, going to Will Banks, uh, getting Cuck Boy, uh, a lot of these nice perks. So uh, nice to see him making some plays off the field because he never does it on the field. Yeah, and yeah, completing one throw at least to set up a game-winning <laughs> touchdown. So McConnell's got that going for him. So that is the penultimate episode. Uh, next episode, stay tuned to our at Splash Play Pod Twitter, of course, at Peter Rovers at and at Chris Spags as well, because we'll make sure to post whenever we're going to be able to get that next episode in. But Pete, you're taking the week off. So what are the plugs for you? What's coming up before you are uh, getting some time away? Yeah, no, I'm going. I'm heading out uh, this uh, afternoon. So okay. yeah, I might. I might be able to swing a Friday afternoon show. I'm going to be coming back uh, that day, but for the most part, um, no night shows for me next week might drop in and do a couple little things throughout the week. So not completely going off the grid, but yes, going to be not cranking out the shows like usual. Yeah, so there, make sure to check out whatever Pete's doing on his channel. Of course, subscribe to that one. Subscribe to the Splash Play channel. We're going to be ramping up the fantasy football portion of things now that we have a little more clarity on what's going on. Of course, it can give you guys the reason analysis you expect from Splash Play and Pete and myself. We appreciate all you guys for being here. Enjoy your weekends, and we'll catch you soon. <laughs>